Welcome to the Stetzer Church Leaders Podcast. Conversations with today's top ministry leaders to help you lead better every day. And now, here are your hosts, Ed Stetzer and Daniel Yang. Welcome to the Stetzer Church Leaders Podcast, where we're helping Christian leaders navigate and lead through the cultural issues of our day. My name is Daniel Yang, the director of the Church Multiplication Institute, and today we're talking with Dr. Meretu Guta. Dr. Guta is a philosopher with expertise in metaphysics, philosophy of mind, cognitive neuroscience, and philosophical theology. He's been teaching at and around Biola University since 2016, conducting research on many issues, including philosophy of AI. Joining Ed in this week's conversation is Steele Billings. Steele's a technologist who currently leads Glue's AI in the Church Initiative, which includes a $25 million fund that invests in faith-driven organizations, leading research and development around the responsible usage of AI in ministry. Before we talk to Dr. Gouda, we want to remind you that if you're enjoying our interview today, uh, leave us a review. Now let's go to Ed Stetzer, Editor-in-Chief of Outreach Magazine and the Dean of the Talbot School of Theology. Super excited to have Miretu with us today. Miretu Guta is well, one of the things, of course, I'm probably excited because he's been teaching at Biola since 2016. Uh, and so I'd love to have somebody who's really being recognized by a whole lot of people in this space to join our conversation in, in the podcast today. So a little bit of uh, background here. We got to sort of get some feel for some things. And, and Steele's co-hosting with me. So Steele, before we get to our guest, I want you to kind of summarize for us these three types of AI that we talked about last time. Uh, and so give us some give us some additional thoughts, kind of lead in, and then I'll jump in and start asking the question of you and Mihareto. So first to you, Steele. Yeah, the topic of trust, super important, Ed. Uh, you, you've got, uh, you know, you got to understand a little bit of why we, when we say trust artificial intelligence, artificial intelligence isn't necessarily a being, right? It, and it's, it, most people expect that it is coming in waves. And so you have these three types of artificial intelligence. You have narrow AI, which is the era that we're in now, which essentially just means AI does what we tell it to do, uh, where people start to get more and more concerned and you start to hear the big scary things. You think Terminator, you think, you know, the Matrix and and some of those other scary movies around artificial intelligence is when we get into eras of what's called general AI or AGI. And then you have super intelligence where artificial intelligence is the supreme being. Um, you know, so when you if you were to ask some of the 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 AI models today, will we ever get to an era of general AI where AI is actually making decisions on its uh, behalf uh, on its own? Um, it is acting more like a human where it knows about many different realms of, of intelligence. Uh, the a lot of these large language models would actually say no. They don't think that we will see an era of artificial uh, general intelligence or AGI. So we're in we're in narrow AI, and essentially, uh, you know, AI does what it is told to do. And uh, you know, I'm really excited though about having Dr. Guda on because Dr. Guda has some incredible thoughts just around some of the things that we should be mindful of and and some of the concerns that we should have. And so, Dr. Guda, thanks so much. Uh, you know, I, one of the topics that I would ask you to speak to, I've heard you speak to it before, is this idea of singularity. Can you just define the idea of singularity and, and what it is and why we should be aware of it? Yeah, uh, the concept of singularity uh, has been put forth by people who defend a strong AI. So uh, a strong AI is, we can contrast that with weak AI. So weak AI is a kind of producing tools based on, let's say, Boolean algebra. Computers function on the basis of zero and one. They manipulate that language. 
everything that we put as an as an input into these gadgets has to be interpreted in terms of ones and zeros. That's the only language that computers really know. And then you get your output. So WIC AI comes in different forms, chess playing computers or you know, sophisticated airplanes and so on and so forth. That is not controversial, right? That's okay. That's we all are using WIC AI. We have smartphones and so on and so forth. That's fine. And that's okay. I mean, people can keep on developing those kinds of technologies and it's wonderful. But technology is not value neutral or kind of worldview neutral. So if we take a strong AI, it comes with lots of metaphysical uh, baggage, lots of metaphysically loaded things. The entire plan of a strong AI is to really establish the concept that you mentioned, singularity. Singularity is the idea that computers, when they get to that stage, they wouldn't need you at all. They can make their own independent decisions. You will actually become their pet. Like you're inferior to the gadgets. The gadgets would be at a much higher cognitive level and stage. And they independently, autonomously uh, create their own vision or decisions or plans or you name it. So that's the big vision of defenders of a strong AI. It's not the tool making vision, it's just proving that human beings are inferior to gadgets. And in doing so, you actually achieve, let's say, super intelligence, which is a big idea in transhumanism, for instance. So super intelligent beings by upgrading their biological anatomy, uh, let's say upgrading it to machine-backed, machine-replaced anatomical parts. Let's say if you are having a slip uh, issues, if you are slipping, you know, without being awake for an extended period of time. So if I were to change certain structures inside your brain that are implicated in allowing you to slip and facilitating a slip cycle, I can actually make you stay awake, let's say, for 48 hours. So this might be very beneficial in war context. So rather than having soldiers who would every now and then want to take a nap or, you know, rest, why don't we replace something and then they can fight for 48 hours without needing to, to take any rest. So the idea of singularity is literally, in my view, is entirely worldview loaded. It, it is just not an innocent humble thing where people are trying to see how far they can go. No, no, this is something that they want to prove that you are inferior to the very gadgets that they are inventing. So are we there yet? No, we are not. Will, will we ever be <laughs> there? I have serious doubts. My doubts are not technical. My doubts are metaphysical. So for metaphysical reasons, I don't think we have that property actually to create machines that do think like us or are capable of doing what we are as human beings capable of doing. Probably I can come back to this notion later on that I'm actually working on a specific argument. In fact, trying to uh, 
come up with a mathematical model that in principle potentially shows that uh, computers will never be uh, as conscious as human beings are uh, because we do not have metaphysical property as human beings that will allow us to do that kind of thing. So there's unbreachable metaphysical setback. Almost like it was designed that way, right? Uh, yes. That's pretty fascinating. All right. So so that's singularity, which uh, your your perspective there is pretty fascinating in itself, that there are there are organizations or individuals in the world today that are actually pursuing singularity. You know, we in our in the last episode that, that Ed and I did with Kenny Jang, we were talking about very practical ways that artificial intelligence could be used by church leaders. Um, what you're saying is there are people that are not necessarily pursuing ways that artificial intelligence can simply make us more efficient or effective in what we're trying to accomplish. But there are people that are pursuing these big existential things like singularity. Um, that that in itself is a little bit concerning. It brings me back to this idea around where we are and what era in AI we are and the fact that we're in this era called narrow AI. And narrow AI essentially just means that it does what we tell it to do. There might be people telling it to do harmful things and so that's where this concept of trust comes back what if there are these corporations that are pursuing harmful things how how what are the things that church leaders should be aware of or watch out for related to just this concept of trust when we say trust what what comes to your mind many things come to my mind the concept of trust as a social concept it's a philosophical metaphysical concept it's also a moral concept Here's an example. Um, I trust the chair I'm sitting on right now, <laughs> but I am not actually trusting the chair in and of itself. I'm trusting who put together the chair, right? So um, there's a sense in which you can say you can't trust AI in this very narrow sense. People who produced your smartphone for that machine to function, gadget to function in, in a certain way, they did a good job like it, it it functions in the way it's supposed to function good but if you want to trust ai from moral point of view it, it gets really complicated so um you can't trust the gadget because the gadget is not an agent so when you say that i can trust or we should trust ai what we're saying is our trust has to be located in the companies or the people who actually produced the ai, AI itself but then that raises a, another question, because who exactly is that person? You, you're not going to point out a single person in that company. So you have to take the company as a whole. So which means that you are trusting what we call corporate persons, person who does not apply to literally the company itself. So this is corporate persons. But what does actually that mean? It, it, it's very difficult to really point that out. But one thing that we can say is that we can, yes, we can trust the AI from the vantage point of view of, yeah, I mean, we can use it, we can accomplish certain tasks and so forth. But if we are trusting AI without taking into account, uh, let's say the distinctions between narrow AI and there's a strong AI and so on, the notion of trust itself doesn't actually make that much sense because it's very misleading so who am i supposed who am i supposed to trust where i'm where am i supposed to direct my trust like 
what am I directing it at? <laughs> like, you know, so it's a very complicated concept. But here is one thing that I can just practically point out. Church have to know one thing. One, here's an example. Think of about revolving door. Revolving door, its function is to let anything come in, to let anything go out, right? It's just revolving door. Anything comes in, anything goes out. Anything comes in, anything goes out. Churches have to put in place a different model. Churches have to put in place a mechanism that actually allows people which aspect of AI is relevant for our mission, which aspect of AI is not relevant to our mission. In fact, it distracts us from our mission. So that's where actually you can bring an ethical consideration to have some sort of role to play. So if we are acting on the basis of the revolving door model, then we're going to trust everything that the companies are saying. Okay, we're not going to have the certain mechanism. We, we will be at their mercy. Whatever that they say is true. Therefore, our job is to keep up with the time and we have to embrace AI in any shape or form. So I think uh, uh, we have to put a, a very strong mechanism in place. Let's say you can use even this in a, in, a, in a kind of physiological sense saying there are permeable and impermeable concentrations, like uh, the, the channels in our brain. Sometimes they allow certain things to happen. Sometimes they do not allow certain things to happen for the overall healthy functioning of the whole system. So I think um, um, we should trust AI in general. I think we should trust by taking into consideration where is it useful, where is it not useful, where is it there's a potential for this for this technology to distract us from what we're doing. Where is it that it is also helpful in reinforcing what we're doing? That kind of thinking, critical engagement, is extremely important. We cannot simply trust technology. We can't simply trust technology, which I, I think so. So the the challenge is, Dr. Gouda, is that for some people that means we shouldn't engage it. Matter of fact, I remember early on. Uh, I was had an intern at my church and she said, yeah, we're not going to go on the World Wide Web. That just sounds like like spiders and bad things. That's like a web goes over and there's all kinds of bad things on the World Wide Web. But pornography becomes a huge driver of that and more. So so if we're going to have a discerning embrace, not a not a full embracing trust, because, again, these are companies that are creating these things that don't always share the same values that we ultimately have. So so I guess then the question is, is I, I think of tech maybe wrong as kind of purpose agnostic, a tool that needs to be aligned to promote human flourishing rather than destructive purposes. Are there ways that Christian leaders, that's our audience, pastors and Christian leaders, are there ways that Christian leaders can be thinking about how to align and use as a tool, align to promote human flourishing, and also, or should we just, should we just avoid it altogether uh, because of the destruction that it could ultimately cause? How, how might you think? I don't think we should avoid using technology because we cannot consistently avoid using technology. Yeah. It also affects what we do. Uh, we cannot reach out the very people that we would like to reach out with the gospel and, and also serve people in general. I don't think it's 
at all practical uh, to completely stop and avoid using technology because technology comes in different forms. So if we avoid, let's say, using computers, why are we using cars? Okay, we do use cars. It's just, it's just a product of technology. So I think completely um, stopping using technology is not practical. It's not even important. We have to use it because technology in other ways is a reflection of the image of God in us because we are demonstrating our creativity, right? We are putting to a very good use, you know, the capacity that God has given us. So in one way, we can thank God for technological invention because it's a reflection of God's image in us because, you know, other animals, you know, we don't have any instances of other animals doing and creating the things that we are creating. So I think I completely do not support the idea of not using technology in general. But then I also do not support the idea of the revolving model approach to in embracing technology, because technology is not value neutral, it's not uh, uh, worldview neutral. It comes with lots of uh, uh, baggages. If you take transhumanism, for example, transhumanism transcending humanity, right? So making humans transcend their limitations. One way that people are at least hoping to bring that to full realization is by upgrading your biology by changing certain parts of your body with technology and, and so on. So that approach is now going to raise many theological uh, conundrums for, for us. I don't think the church has to embrace that kind of uh, application of technology. And also technology can be destructive in other ways. Let's suppose, for example, if technology is really affecting the body of Christ to be in each other's presence, then that's a red flag to me. So let's suppose, but in the name of efficiency, let's suppose you have a mission trip, let's say to Africa or to Asia or somewhere else. These days you might easily say, well, we have Zoom. We don't have to make a physical trip there. We don't have to meet people in person. We can meet them on, on Zoom. We can say hi. And in so far as we give them money or resources, that's good enough. We do everything we do from our comfortable office here, from our comfortable environment. We don't want to lose a slip and it's just it's an outmoded mission uh, work. It's a bygone era stuff, so we don't have to make a physical trip. This is a red flag to me because um, it's kind of a, it's, it goes against the idea of incarnation. Okay, Christ came where we are. He could have said, well, you guys, you're forgiven, and I don't have to make this trip, and I don't have to undergo this incarnation process. And he could have said that, but he didn't. So he came here, he lived among us, he cried with us, he, he saw how we lived, and he, he was hungry, and he understood us, let's say, from his own first-person perspective. He experienced what we experienced. So we need to make a mission trip physically because people want to shake our hands. They want to look into our eyes. They are hungry for our physical presence. That is what brings healing to them. And not only the money we send or resources that we send. Technology can't stand in our way now because you can easily rationalize and say, well, not needed. This is just a kind of a less effective mode of communication and so on. I think that really is a red flag to me. So now here, here's a temptation. 
So how is it that the church is supposed to be mindful of how easily technology can make you rationalize your own behavior and then uh, elevate your own comfort zone? Like this is, you know, just comfortable. Okay, it's all about. So here are some practical examples from me back, back came to my mind. So you mentioned something just earlier. I want to I want to unpack a little bit is how artificial intelligence is already in our lives. And, you know, you, you said that it shouldn't be avoided. You know, it, really, we can't avoid it. it. It's built into our smartphones. Every time we talk to Siri, we're, we're talking, we're interacting with artificial intelligence. You know, a lot of a lot of people don't realize Grammarly is a form of artificial intelligence. Right. So there's there's all these technologies out there that we're already engaging with. And you know, it's not like it's evil. So when we say artificial intelligence and, and we're going to avoid it all all together, um, really, we don't have that liberty right now to avoid it because of how much it is baked into our lives. So largely. So the real question is, how can we how can we make decisions or smarter decisions about how we use it? Right. And what are the sensitivities around, um, you know, why? Why is why is there so much sensitivity, for instance, around using artificial intelligence for things like personal growth and spiritual growth? It seems like there's a lot of alarm there. Uh, but so when when we start thinking about artificial intelligence from a church leader's perspective, what are the sensitivities there? What are the concerns that you see? Let's take, for example, ChatGBT uh, as an example. So uh, in Germany, I think you all might have heard already the entire church service was generated by ChatGBT, songs, music sermon, everything else. Yeah, right. Uh, so what is happening here is it's literally making human communicators to be outmoded, not needed communicators. So that, that's it. You don't need human beings, which means you can easily replace human preachers by robotic pastors, robotic singers, robotic so and so forth. And is that consistent with uh, our calling and and the idea of the body of Christ? I think the church have to answer that question. Uh, I think in my view, it's not. Uh, I don't think we should embrace these kinds of things. Uh, and, and basically what I've said, technology can easily make you rationalize even that, you know, in the future, rather than pastors every single week, you know, preaching, standing on the pulpit, they might easily can say, well, I can just upload my sermon on the machine and then someone will press the button on and then, you know, I can just, I can be at home or I can, I can go on vacation or there, there are so many things on the horizon. So if we are embracing technology on, on the basis of a revolving door model, anything can happen. For example, in the context of education, ChatGBT is completely education destroyer. In my view, it makes you, it makes you less motivated to be a reader and you can just ask the summary of any number of books. You can get the summary in a split of a second. You have not read those books. You don't even know the color of those books. You care less. Now you pretend as if you're an expert. And um, well, you're not an expert, but you can fake everything. So I think another danger is we can fake sermons. We can fake service. We can fake everything. So there is a real danger on our way. So the best way to deal with this and set of other dangers is for church to be critical engager with the technology. So technology is not innocent and it can easily uh, stand in your way. So I think critical faculty is very important. 
Otherwise, we're going to succumb to whatever that the companies are doing. And we naively assume that uh, what they tell us about the gadgets is exactly the only thing that we have to know. That's the big danger. Right. Now, the companies shouldn't set the tone for how we should use the technology. We should set the tone uh, regarding how we should use the technology. Therefore, the church leaders, they have to train themselves from the vantage point of view of their own mission. So the gospel communication can be increased using these technologies. Yeah, like, it can also don't, don't, be. But let me press in on a couple of that because I really think, because um, in, in the prior episode, uh, we talked about a little bit of this and, you know, I, I like how you kind of talked about the German church where they, they was all run by AI and we both would agree that, I mean, if that becomes a thing, I want to be among those who are countercultural for the kingdom of God, living an embodied experience with people in community. So with physical proximate community, not just electrons and avatars, but feet and faces. I want to, I want that to be part of our countercultural reality. So, so, and you say to engage critically this technology, which I really like, I'm, I, I want to, I mean, we might even call it the episode that engaging AI critically because i think i think we want to think it through so so then i want to think about so in the prior episode i talked about how i ask ai i, I, I write my message i might drop in and say to ai what are some illustrations about this and ai has been great to find new illustrations i i might put it in and say what's a, a new way to reword this and ai has been great about that now i'm i'm doing the study of the word of god i'm preparing the outline and then I'm asking AI for other things sort of around that, or maybe questions. I could say, here's my message. What are study questions you would add at the end? And, and again, I'm, I see about 75% good and it gives me ideas and I'm using it for research and ideation. So if I'm critically engaging because, and we want to have responsible use of AI in the church, and yet we both kind of identified what's too far, we both would be uncomfortable with that German church experiment that made all the news. How do I critically engage between the, you know, Grammarly, which Steele mentioned, which we're using now as, as AI component to it. I don't think anybody have ethical concerns. I don't have ethical concerns with asking AI to help me find illustrations that I then have to verify. Where, where, where do I start thinking, all right, I, I need to be concerned about this because technology impacts everything. It's not value neutral, though it could be purpose neutral. Help me to think, how do I find those lines, Dr. Guda? Yeah, what came to my mind uh, as you were analyzing this the, this situation as um, technology can easily denaturalize us. Let me let, let me unpack this concept. Denaturalize in a sense, let's suppose, for example, you're depending on this technology for everything that you're doing. Okay, I don't find this illustration. Give me, I, what do you think about this question? Give me and so on and so forth. So in the process of doing that or overdoing it, for example, we are actually missing out on the opportunities that we could have trained ourselves to master that bit of a skill, for example. So that's the danger. Now we can easily get the answers, it's fine. But then we do not have the skill that we can call as our own. So basically, the technology is going to be our mental crutch. So in other talks that I give, I talk about the mental crutch idea. The mental crutch is unless it is necessary, I have to master certain skills on my own. I, it could be laborious. Yes, it could, you know, it could demand of me so many hours. Yes. But that's the only way I can train myself. I can confidently do what I do without needing this mental crutch. For example, if I am working on, let's say, 
a certain quadratic equation or calculus or something is complicated math stuff, I can easily depend on this technology. I don't have to spend 10 hours. I don't have to spend 15 hours. I don't have to even understand the mechanics of it. I just want to have the product. That's it. Now, if somewhere, someone were to ask me, explain this concept to me without any aid, let's just, here's a whiteboard, here's a marker, just explain that to me. I think moving forward, many people are not going to be able to do that because once this is once this becomes a mental crutch, we're not going to be able to do that. So therefore, when we study scriptures, for example, um, we need to really master basic skills that we need to master on our own on our own first. And then whenever there is a need to engage with technology, absolutely we have to engage. But I think the current trend is the way things have been set so far and the companies, what they are telling us is this, basically, you guys don't have to do anything. We have done everything that uh, that you can, you know, be a couch potato, basically, like just sit there. If you want to, to have this information, all you have to do is click, press on that button, and we can spit out that to you. So my worry is this, moving forward, what scale or set of scales that, we can be in a position that we can call our ours. So the denaturalization scares me a lot. This applies to students, applies to medical people, applies to everyone else. There are technologies that are cloning voice these days. When you hear someone singing, for example, you will be unable to tell whether it's a natural voice or whether it's completely choreographed voice or something like that. So we are moving into that you know, uh, era now. And so everything will be blended, intermingled, and it will be very difficult to tell what's natural and what's not natural. It's sort of like saying uh, organic food versus processed food or genetically modified food or something like that. So I think organic food is nutritionally much better than processed food, even though it, it's yummy. Yeah, it, it gives you nice taste. But in the long run, you're not going to benefit from that. So my concern in a nutshell is, I think we shouldn't lose the skills. We need to master those skills. The life of the mind moving forward is going to get very trickier uh, because if you are not reading books, if you're not spending time engaging with what I've written, if you want a quick summary of that book and pretend to be an expert and so on, I don't think that really works in a, in a real situation. So that those are some of the worries and critical engagement consists of being skeptical of even things that are beneficial, but they are beneficial in a harmful way. It, I'm getting what I need from the technology, but I'm not developing my own skill. So how is that beneficial? You've brought up a, a whole lot of ideas of trust. I, I think one really interesting example here, just talking about this idea of when, when we say trust around artificial intelligence, you know, it, and, and technology doing only what humans tell it to do, then who are, who are the humans telling artificial intelligence to do what? There's four main uh, tools out there that people are using, like these chatbots, like ChatGPT, which is by a company by OpenAI. You have Google Bard, which of course is by Google. You have this, uh, this newer one called Claude2, which is becoming more and more popular. And it's by a company uh, that has been formed by a lot of ex-OpenAI uh, technologists. Uh, called Anthropic, and then you have you know these many of these other ones uh, that Snapchat Snapchat has released called My AI, which is very very popular with younger people. If you ask questions like "Is Jesus the Son of God?" across all of those different types of applications, 
you get very different answers. Now, a lot of them tend to refer you to other materials. They leave the question very open. Some of them say, you know, that there's there's questions back and forth on that. And so it it's really about the companies behind those organizations. In your mind, Dr. Gouda, what types of things must be done for church leaders to be able to level up in our understanding around trust uh, of artificial intelligence? Because as we said earlier, this is not a you can avoid it type of thing. You can control how you use it, but you can't avoid it. What what should we be doing right now to be able to get to a place where the church can fully leverage this technology and make the most of the moment? I think one thing we can do is have small seminars, discussions in the church in a formal setting, reflect on this technology, um, figure out uh, where we should use it, where we should use it, where we should be skeptical, where we should embrace it, and so forth. So training is one way to to think about this issue. Another thing is, I think we should also keep in our mind that technology is a very dynamic phenomenon, right? It's not a static. Technologies are always advanced. People are advancing them like on, on a weekly basis, on a monthly basis, on a yearly basis, and so on. Even if we, we say that we are using it in a responsible fashion right now, we're not in a position how the next phase of technology is going to challenge us or pose questions that are extremely difficult for us. So it seems like the church has to be on its toes. Like it's just literally every single time these things come up, you need to put something in place, some sort of mechanism. Uh, because we're talking about ChatGPT now. ChatGPT has already been upgraded, right? Since it came out in November 2022. It has been upgraded twice, for example. So they are not going to stop. They are going to keep on upgrading it, which means that it's more powerful. It does even more powerful things and so on. Probably in the future, you might not need even to write references or even everything might be done by chat GBT. So you, you just, your role is really very minimal. So I think, um, I think training and reflecting, taking this issue extremely seriously uh, uh, is the best way to, to know um, where we should be in our relationship with this technology. So we should, we should, we should think about this very, very carefully. Yeah, I think the um, encouraging thing is some of the research that we've been doing. We did a uh, uh, a snowball sampling. Uh, it would be released by the time this podcast is out and really found some interesting responses, but including a high sense of questions around some of the uh, some of the ethical issues are here. In other words, I think it's I think it's fair. We actually ask to what extent are you concerned about the ethical and moral issues related to AI? And uh, and the 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 most frequent answer was extremely uh, if you put extremely in concerned, you have uh, over a majority. You throw someone in there, you have a vast majority, even like a small percentage, slightly concerned. And there's like like the teeny number of people who aren't concerned. Um, so I think people are trying to figure out, should they be concerned? And the answer appears to be yes. You're actually talking to us about some of the dangers of the disembodiment that it creates, some of the dangers and places ways people learn, almost creating a fake sense of knowledge that maybe we don't have the anchoring necessary to understand and more. But we have one, one just a few minutes left and one more question for you. So, you know, there's an old question that's often asked, how then shall we live? I mean, this is going to be very pervasive. Uh, we're actually doing this series encouraging church leaders to engage in AI. So this is 
This is something that we I gave examples and and we have examples of way people can engage in AI. Our, our following episode on AI, we'll talk about how to use AI in some spiritually uh, growth oriented formative ways. So, yet we recognize that that the technology shapes it. It's not it's not value neutral though it could be purpose neutral. Can we use it for these purposes? And I really want to kind of end with how my pastors and church leaders listening, they're like, okay, Doctor Guda, what do we do tomorrow? related to AI so that we can be more effective in ministry and also guard ourselves against some of the ethical problems around it? I think the best thing that I can say uh, is in the short time we have is um, we have to make technology to be submissive to the central uh, message of the gospel. In other words, like it, it shouldn't set the tone for us we should set the tone for how technology should be used. So in any sense where it tends to be, it tends to tempt us in distracting us from the central uh, uh, message of the gospel. So let's say in affecting our unity, our, our interest in being in the presence of other people and so forth. I think we should, we should really say no. So I think it seems like Technology is not neutral. Yes, we say that. Yes, it's beneficial. Yes, we say that. It can also distract us. So it's a mixed bag. So I think we need to hold those in balance. So it can distract us at any time. It can be very anti-gospel if we're not careful. It can also promote. It can also reinforce. So these things do not have a stable answer. They are very volatile because technology changes from time to time. And corresponding to that, the questions we face change and the, our methodology has to change, our approach has to change and so on. So we need to live in this bubble, but we should always keep in our mind that we have a stable angle where we can look at it and evaluate it. Uh, and that is the central uh, uh, message of the gospel. And in terms of ethical issues, in one way, ChatGBT is uh, a machine. It's a plagiarism machine, I'm sorry, because it's taking your information, it's taking my information, it's taking everyone's information, putting it together and spitting it out. So it's very difficult even to give credit for the information that we get from ChatGBT because there isn't independent information produced in that gadget. It's the information written by other people, uploaded on the internet, cyberspace, and then the machine is uh, you know, uh, pulling from different directions and spitting it out. It's ethically, it's, it's very difficult to convince people. I mean, people are not going to be convinced uh, by this observation, but it's, it's plagiarism at a uh, sophisticated level. So um, I think um, constant engagement, <laughs> constant conversation and training is what I recommend for church leaders, honestly, good, always. Good. Just, just even that, even that, when people hear plagiarism, they they rightfully, well, they don't want to plagiarize. And this is one of the reasons why you don't take what ChatGPT, I use ChatGPT primarily, you don't take what it says and use those words. I'm looking for ideas and I can, it can be an idea generator machine for me. Help me yeah. find illustrations, help, help, help me different ways to say this. Um, help me come up with questions at the end. There's lots you can do, but you need to have that critical engagement. Sorry to interrupt you, but give, give us one last thought because we got to wrap up. Yeah, I think that I completely agree with what you said. I, I think critical engagement is good, but what that consists is training, taking time to literally think about AI and uh, training people, taking their opinions and 
all this kind of engagement is extremely important. And I think leaders should mobilize people in a nice way. And, you know, let's think about this issue and let's think it in light of what we believe and so on. I think this engagement would refine our own thinking. And also it puts us in a position where we're not kind of uh, uh, passive about it. So we're, we're really thinking about it. We okay. know exactly where to spot. We, we know how to put the boundaries. And, you know, those things come when we think, when we engage, when we take time. And we don't have to take few people to do that for us. We should incorporate, we should bring other people uh, in our orbit and and do it together and, and you know, invite people just the way you guys are doing here and share ideas and so forth. This is the best way to, to think about this technology. But overall, it's a worldview-loaded thing. We shouldn't forget that. It's not innocent at all. Now, I want to encourage you to, you can Google Mihireta Guta and find, he's, he's talked about this in multiple places, you particularly at Biola, but right now he's at a conference in Michigan, um, people talking about this all around the country and the world, important conversation to have. Let me mention that at Glue, Steel's actually with Glue, he's been helping me put together these podcasts. You can go to glue.us slash AI for the AI in the Church Hub, also information about the hackathon, which sounds like people are doing bad things, but it's actually doing good things. I'll be there, Steel will be there, we'll all be physically present in Boulder with a couple hundred others for a hackathon. Also, Outreach Magazine is doing an entire issue dedicated to, uh, well, technology, but focused on AI, uh, and that'll be out this fall as well. You can subscribe to Outreach at OutreachMagazine.com as well. Daniel Yang, take us out. Thanks. You've been listening to Dr. Miratu Guta. You can learn more about him at biola.edu. And thanks again for listening to the Sets of Church Leaders podcast. You can find more interviews as well as other great content for ministry leaders at churchleaders.com slash podcast. And again, if you found our conversation today helpful, it'll help us if you leave us a review. That'll help other ministry leaders find us more easily and benefit from our content. Thanks for listening. We'll see you in the next episode. You've been listening to the Stetzer Church Leaders podcast. For more great interviews, as well as articles, videos, and free resources, visit our website at churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening.